Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Hi, I'm Naomi Ravik, and this is what being Jewish means to me. I don't look how people expect Jews to look based on stereotypical assumption of what Jews in America look like. And I think that I have to choose every day to show my Judaism and to be proud of it. And it's something that I'm really proud of, and it's something that I hold really central to my identity. I think that being Jewish can be an act of radicalism sometimes. There are so many extraneous forces against us. There are so many people telling us not to be Jewish, not to be proud of our Judaism, not to stand up for the state of Israel, not to fight for what we believe in in so many ways. I think that being Jewish in a lot of ways is a choice. I think you have to choose to centralize it. And I like to think that I make that choice every day. As part of Jewish American Heritage Month, American Jewish Committee has named May as Jewish and Proud Month to celebrate the Jewish people's united bravery and resilience in the face of adversity. People of the Pod will take part in this month-long campaign with a special lineup of guests, and we would love for you to join us. That's right, you, our listeners. What does being Jewish mean to you? We want to know your answer. Call the People of the Pod hotline at 212-891-1336 and leave a message of a minute or less in our voicemail box. Don't forget to include your name and city with your answer. You may hear your voice on a future episode. Call 212-891-1336. That's 212-891-1336. How do American millennial Jews feel about Israel? And how has anti-Israel activism on American college campuses affected that relationship? This week, AJC released the first ever parallel surveys of nearly 2,000 American and Israeli Jewish millennials asking about their ties to each other. On Tuesday, my guest host Maggie Fredman, AJC Director of Alexander Young Leadership, sat down for a live recording with AJC Access Global Director Dana Steiner, AJC Access Israel Manager Liron Coret, and opinion analytics and communication strategist Philippe Asseline to discuss those findings. Today's discussion and this landmark survey really represent two interconnected issues that are central to us here at American Jewish Committee. The first is understanding the young Jewish experience, and the second is strengthening the bonds between Israel and the Jewish American diaspora. So as Daniel mentioned, launched through Access Global, AJC's Young Professional Arm, and AJC's Contemporary Jewish Life Department, AJC brought together two well-known research entities, YouGov, an American company, and Geocartography, an Israeli-based research company, to conduct a survey of 800 millennial American Jews and 1,000 Israeli millennial Jews in February of this year. The goal of the survey, really, which is the first of its kind that explicitly focuses on the millennial demographic, which we denote as 25 to 40, examines the ways in which both groups view the connection to one another, to Israel, and the implications for our communities and our collective futures. 
So to dive into these findings and explain how this survey uh, came into being, I want to jump into conversation with our three wonderful panelists. Um, welcome and thank you all for joining us. So with that, Dana, I want to start off by, by turning to you. So before we get into the findings here of the survey, give us a brief sense of how this project came into being and also why did the survey focus specifically on millennials? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Maggie. And I'm really so excited to be here. This was a long process, but certainly one that was worth the wait. So to give a little bit of background, in my role as Director of Access Global, we understand the importance of the future of U.S.-Israel relations. And fortunately, so does AJC. We see it as an institutional priority. So when I first started at AJC in 2019, I was asked to be a part of the Contemporary Jewish Life Israel Diaspora Task Force, which was an incredible opportunity. And in that early visioning process, we determined that there were very specific needs that young professionals specifically would be needing. And for those who are not familiar, Access, while we have dozens of chapters around the country, we also have an incredibly robust Access Israel chapter, which is why Liron is here with us today. So we serve hundreds of Israelis, and it's important for us to understand what their needs are. So as a result of being a part of this Israel Diaspora Task Force, it was determined that we wanted to create a working group of our Access leaders to discuss what were the possibilities, what were the opportunities, what were the challenges. And of course, how could we address these issues in a serious way? So as such, we convened a group of about 25 access leaders from both the United States and Israel. And after several visioning sessions, what was determined was that it would be inappropriate of us to put forward a program or an initiative or a project without doing a wide environmental scan of the attitudes, opinions, behaviors, norms of American millennial Jews and Israeli millennial Jews. So as such, in October of 2020, this group of incredible young leaders, who I want to give a shout out to Daniel Benarash and Ariel Lapson, who were really the architects, the lay architects of this project, one in Israel and one in Seattle, really helped lead this journey. And this group of 25 young professionals helped us craft the questions. They helped us really dream about what we wanted to ask. And as such, that was ultimately how the survey came to be. And to your point about why millennials, Maggie, millennials are such an incredibly important demographic. They, in some cases, are five years out of college. In some cases, they're 15 to 20 years out of college. These are people who are going to enter the halls of our government. They are people who are going to be rabbis and clergy. These are individuals who are raising families and are raising the next generation of Jewish family. And it's important for us to understand what is motivating them what is driving them, and of course, for AJC's purposes, who will lead the next generation of AJC? Um, thanks for that, Dana. And I think now that we have kind of the the, the framing and the origin story of, of the survey, I really want to get into um, the nuts and bolts. So, um, Philippe, you know, in our Jewish tradition, we uh, have this often cited uh, line and really story from the Talmud about being asked to teach the entire Torah on one foot. 
In essence, I'm going to ask you to teach an entire survey on one foot. Um, but specifically, what are some of the most important and potentially most challenging takeaways you found in the survey? And just walk us through, again, on one foot, um, what you discovered from, from both surveys. Okay, we'll do my best to stay true to Hillel, I think it was. My Jewish school. We won't hold it against you if it uh, involves two feet. I will quickly say this project was an absolute delight and I couldn't ask for better partners and I'll try to praise them as much as possible while I'm standing on one foot. So in summary, I think what was striking here, at least for us, I believe, is that one, the commitment of millennials is just as high or higher than older generations. It's something I didn't expect. I think another reason that millennials are very important to look at is that they've been immersed in the internet. It's a different way of bonding, of building community, and we can't take belonging for granted. So there is a strong commitment. That said, we do see partially in certain audiences the impact of the anti-Israel climate, which is something we wanted to test. Okay? And we believe, and the analysis shows at least partially, the pressure put socially on young Jews when they were on campus and afterwards is creating the opposite effect of what we want in terms of building the bond with Jews in Israel and even perceptions of the state of Israel itself. Okay, so that is something that I think is concerning we need to look at in conjunction with Jewish identity being stronger, perhaps as a positive benefit of uh, identity politics. And finally, something striking, I think the data is hinting, if not telling us, that American millennial Jews expect a reciprocal relationship with Israeli Jews or with Israel writ large, in the sense of wanting more of a say, for example, in policy, expecting the interests of American Jews to be considered when Israel is making its decisions. And I think that's something new. It is not yet matched by the Israeli population, even though there's a lot of positive information coming from the Israeli side. And I think that quid pro quo is the is the essence of it. So I want to shift a bit, you know, so much of how this survey came into being is this need to have a data informed perspective. But there is something personal here. And Liron and Dana, I'm going to turn to you. You both are millennial Jews, right? You are both millennial Jews. You share much in common. You are also both talking to me from two different countries, right? Liron, you are in Israel, and Dana, of course, you are here in the States. And I know that as American Jews and as Israelis, like I said, there's a lot of shared experience, but there's also two extremely different vantage points. So, Liron, we're going to start with you, and I want to ask you two things. The first is, after having gone through the survey, what about the findings of Jewish millennials in your home country, so in your case in Israel, resonated with you and what surprised you and then connected to that how did the findings of the other community so of the american jewish diaspora right millennials in here in the states how do you think those findings are going to impact you at home so two big questions but let's start with that speaking as a millennial and as someone who has also experienced life both in the u.s and in israel I think that I came in to the survey expecting something maybe more familiar to myself. My college experience was very positive. There was no anti-Israel climate. But before that, I had so many friends who were studying in the States and I saw and I experienced them seeing flags burn down. So I, I can see how it's diverse and different. But within the Israeli data, I think that 
it was encouraging to see that Israelis want to know more. I want to find out how to connect. 41.5% said that they would want to learn more about how to improve life for Jews in the diaspora. 90% said that they care about anti-Semitism in America. 90% said it was important for them to have close ties. And I think that I was pleasantly surprised by how high those numbers were. I think that it's very encouraging to see that. And at the same time, I think that when we see the data of how Israelis have learned about the diaspora, 50% said that they learned that in school. And that's a very limited period in their time where they learned about it. And one out of four said that they haven't learned about it at all. And I think that, like I said, I come from a more of a biased opinion because I have experienced this my entire life. But when I think about all of Israel in its entirety, I think that we have a large gap that we still need to overcome. And the fact that we focused on millennials right now can allow us to do this in a more targeted way. We know where they are at. We know what they care about. So I think that's very encouraging. And, you know, even the survey being released, there has been a lot of coverage about it in Israel. And I think that's a first step. But, but what do we do with it? Do Israelis really understand the complexities and the different types of Judaisms that there are? You know, there, there are so many nuances. And I think that creating more of a bond and potentially, and I mean, this is not necessarily data, but when we see that anti-Israel climate on campus has been affecting one out of four of the Jewish American respondents, it raises a question of, how does Israel create this proximity? Because that's what's close to them at those reformative years of their life. But how do we make Israel a big part of that as well? Very much so. And I think, you know, you mentioned, of course, that here in the U.S., in the American college experience with, again, our respondents are outside of campus at this point. And, you know, again, reflecting on those times is really formative. And um, to think of the other half of the equation, Dana, I want to turn to you. And I actually, I want to pose the same things. I want to, from your reading, again, and also as a millennial American Jew, as somebody who spends every day in this space as the director of Access Global, what about the findings of Jewish millennials in the U.S.? What resonated with you and what surprised you? And also, how did the findings about Israelis, how did those land here with American Jews? Definitely. So I'll say that there was a lot about this survey, which I think affirmed some speculation or affirmed some sense of anecdotal pieces that we had been hearing. And in a lot of ways, our data helped to sort of concretize that story. Now, of course, not all data is perfect. And our survey is certainly not in absolutist terms. But I think what resonated the most for me were two specific stories. And I think these are sort of the headlines of our survey is that first and foremost, we understand that millennials do have a connection to Israel and Israelis. And I think that's really important. Um, granted, we understand that there are varying conditions which are certainly complicating that relationship. And our survey does go into that. But it's important to note that a majority of our millennial Jews that we surveyed believe in and have an attachment to Israel and Israelis. They care about Israelis. They care about Israel. 
their emotional attachment is strong. I think these are things that we, we really want to deliver here. It's not all doom and gloom. On the flip, I think another element that resonated strongly, and I wouldn't say it surprised me because it affirms a number of conversations I've been having with my access leaders, as well as with pretty much any young person who exists, um, who cares in this space, is about the personal and the social cost. And I think that that is a really critical element that we talk a lot about in our survey. We have four questions which really address the way in which the relationship with Israel or displaying, demonstrating one's affinity for Israel has proven to be a challenge for a number of American millennials. A quarter of our millennials have suggested that they've had to rethink their commitment to their relationship to Israel. A quarter of our respondents indicated that they've had to hide their Jewish identity. A quarter of our respondents have indicated that they've lost friendships. I think that these components are really crucial. And, you know, I know at some point we'll certainly get into the effects of the most recent escalation in May of 2021 between Israel and Hamas and the implications that that had for American Jews, particularly on social media. But I would certainly say that those sort of parallel stories of American millennial Jews care and also the reality of the geopolitical situation has created a really challenging or has contributed to a complicated relationship is true. I would say in terms of the relationship to Israelis or what I think is a really interesting element there is really that Israelis care. They care a lot. And I think that one of the narratives that we see or we hear is like, oh, Israelis don't really care about relationships with American Jews. And that's not true. Our data tells us a different story. I do think what our data suggests is that we might need to do more of a deep, intentional practice of understanding the lived experiences of both of our communities in terms of what we prioritize and in terms of what we don't prioritize. I want to follow up on something that you touched on, which I want to say is maybe at the forefront in the minds of, let's say, beyond just young American Jews, the American Jewish establishment, which is you you cited, um, you know, the the violence um, which resulted from Hamas induced violence and attacks against Israel in May of last year. And there was this universal feeling that identifying oneself with Israel was not welcome in a lot of corners. And simultaneously, other surveys have also surmised that young Jews are distancing themselves from Israel. Are young Jews distancing themselves for those who did identify that they have had to really silent their identity and not have it welcome in certain spaces. What is motivating that? What I'll say is that, you know, again, there is much more research to be done in this space, particularly on the effects of how social media and engineered social media campaigns are creating an othering of Jews, particularly those who display an affinity or support of Israel. So I want to just start off by saying that there's certainly more research that needs to be done in this particular domain. With that being said, I have to tell you, I must have gotten dozens, dozens of texts, phone calls, emails from young leaders, from access leaders in May, 
And a huge part of it was from the fact that when they would make a post on Instagram or on Twitter, which by the way, our survey suggests is the primary medium that millennials use more than Facebook, more than other mediums. We understood that they either received tremendous amounts of blowback from either friends or from family. We also heard from a number of young access leaders that they were concerned about professional repercussions. There was a young leader who reached out to me. There was an access leader who reached out to me who works for a major company and had been in discussion among other people at the company about putting out a statement, not even necessarily supporting Israel, but advocating against the rise in anti-Semitism that took place in the weeks or even really days following the incident in May. And the company not only did not want to put out a statement, they blatantly said, this isn't a real issue. And as such, we understand that for many access leaders, there is a real concern about what advocating for Israel can do for their friend circles, for their professional lives. And what our data suggests, and I want to be clear, a quarter of respondents is not 70% of respondents. It's not 50% of respondents. So a quarter is a quarter, and yet a quarter is a quarter. We know that 25 plus percentage of millennial Jews feel they've had to hide their identity. That's a very disturbing statistic. And our hope is that in uncovering this reality, we can begin to address strategies for how we confront this reality for millennial Jews in the workplace, among their friend circles, among many of the other spaces that they occupy. Philippe, so, is there anything you want to add there? Thank you. So first of all, what Dana said is absolutely right. Around the quarter for all these questions is confirming what we all feared. And it is having an impact when you look at a correlation. I don't want to put everybody to sleep, but when we do statistical analysis, it does have a significant and pretty large impact on whether or not they want ties to strengthen between the American Jewish community and the Israeli Jewish community, on top of other questions, like do they perceive Israel as a burden to the US, etc. So the social, personal dimension, I think, is something maybe as a community we haven't paid enough attention to recently. Certainly, I think the state of Israel needs to take this into consideration now. But a note of hope, in deepening the analysis, there are a number of factors that do mitigate this or mediate it. And there's things that do seem to work, okay? So people have visited Israel a number of times, things like birthright. That does have a positive impact in limiting this effect of not wanting ties because of personal cost. The level of religiosity, probably not surprising. Bottom line, there are a number of things that we can do to help. So surveys are critical because they help us diagnose, you know, cultural and societal trends, strengths and weaknesses. In this case, of course, between young Jews in Israel and here in the American diaspora. But course, this is a very complex issue. But what can AJC and really the broader Jewish world do to strengthen millennial ties between Israel and the diaspora here? Sure. So I think that maybe one way to look at it would, before going into specifics and specific examples, is more of the how. And I think that when we think about um, going like from top down or from bottom up, I think that both approaches are just equally important. 
I think that AJC, like as an organization and our structure, the fact that we have impact both in government and that we have our amazing network and community, whether it's Access Israel, whether it's Access in the US. So I think that, first of all, raising awareness on the government level, trying to push for policy. And from the bottom up, I think that if there's anything that I've learned in the last 10 years is how important it is to have an inclusive process. And I think that's why the survey is so important as well, that when we come and suggest, we don't just do it as throwing ideas in the air, but we actually talk to the people on the ground experiencing. And I think Dana said this earlier, and I think that it's really important to emphasize that you know, Israelis in the survey, like it's clear that there is awareness. It's clear that they read about what's happening, but do they experience it? Can Israelis truly empathize with the challenges that Americans go through and vice versa? I think that we need to have more of these kinds of experiences. And, and Philippe also mentioned it in, in the data, you know, it's, it's in order to really create a change, we need to not just create sympathy, but create empathy. And I think that Increasing education, increasing engagements, and changing policies are probably the best way to go. Dana, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What does the future hold, if you can tell us? There are so many opportunities here, and I think that's what the survey underscores, is that there are a substantial amount of options and ways that we can build upon this foundational relationship and really expand it. But I would say that there are two things that immediately come to mind for me. And I think the first is that we simply need more engagement among Israelis and Americans. And we acknowledge in the simplest of terms that our access leaders, both in Israel and the United States, are a self-selecting bunch. They have chosen to spend their time with us. They have chosen to be a part of these conversations. And as an advocacy organization, it is of interest to us to understand how we can continue to facilitate opportunities between Israelis and Americans who perhaps are not in the room. And how do we do that in a strategic way, especially with those who may be a little bit on the fence about their relationship with Israel? I think that is a really key component. And the second thing I would say is that I would imagine that a lot of the general American population, including those in certain elected official capacities likely don't know that much about regular Israelis, regular young Israelis and what they want and what they need. And I think that there is a real missed opportunity to engage with young, smart Israelis. I happen to know several hundred of them who are wonderful through Access Israel. And I think creating a space This goes both ways for, I would say, our counterparts in Israel as well. I think while there have been more opportunities for young Americans to have an audience with various elected officials and government officials in Israel, I think it goes both ways. There needs to be greater audience between those who are helping to enact policy with those who are really the general population who not only will become the next generation of leaders, but are also really driving this change now. I think that's very important for our respective political counterparts. You know, we have hundreds of people watching this very conversation and many more who will become exposed to this work. And many of them will either be Gen Z, meaning they are on the earlier span, they are not yet millennials, and also large numbers of individuals who are post-millennial, right? Who are not within the 25 to 40 age group. 
what is one thing, and it can be, you know, big or small, that you would tell the wider audience beyond just millennials, one action or one thing that they can do to try and strengthen the Israel and the diaspora? What I would say generally is let's not panic. Let's be proactive. I think that is a really important message. A lot of action can be generated by concern. And I think there's value to that. And also, I think we are in a particular moment in our communal history, in our relationship, where it's time to start looking beyond the moments of panic. Oh my gosh, these people don't like each other. Their people are distancing themselves. And say, okay, here's what we know. Our data suggests, yes, there are complications. Yes, there are challenges. But let's build on the positive foundations and really move into something significant. So moving from a place of panic to a place of being proactive. I like that a lot. Philippe, going to turn to you. What, what's one piece of action? So Dana had the nail on the head earlier when she said we need to make people aware of who regular Israelis are. So in all the research I've done, and even in personal experience, humanizing not just Israelis, but American Jews is extremely important. Now, part of that is, part of that is community, the state, showing people via campaigns. But what everybody can do in their everyday life is show, don't tell. Bring people into your life, okay? Friendship, non-political. We are, whether we like it or not, ambassadors when people know we're Jewish of the Jewish state in many people's minds, not all the time, but obviously it's a recurring thing. Bring people into your homes, show them who we are, show them kindness, build bonds. These bonds, these human bonds have a tremendous impact on ideology and beliefs afterward. And finally, for younger people, Gen Z, who live their life for good or bad socially through technology and through social networks, share your experiences, share your pain, share your emotions, share your hobbies, share your passions. The humanizing aspect is what beats dehumanization. It's, it sounds a bit obvious now, but it's something we sometimes fail to do. So true and so important. But with that, I want to thank all three of our panelists, as well as my AJC colleagues in the Contemporary Jewish Life Department for their tireless work in conducting this survey. These findings must serve as a roadmap for all who are dedicated, like AJC, to ensuring a strong U.S.-Israel relationship. We thank you for joining us today to learn about these critical findings. You can access the survey in its totality by visiting ajc.org slash Jewish Millennial Survey. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to listen to my candid conversation with writer and Israeli journalist Mati Friedman on how to distinguish between fact and fiction when it comes to news coverage of Israel. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod. 